Welcome to another edition of SlyOffice.com, brought to you by the operating engineers, Local 139, Madison Teamsters, Local 695, Madison Teachers Incorporated, and Madison Firefighters. All right, joining us now, John Nichols, Associate Editor of the Capital Times and Correspondent for the Nation. Uh, John, how are things in Arizona? I mean, it's actually great, to be honest. Uh, we just found out that Arizona voted more overwhelmingly for uh, Joe Biden than we thought. Well, here's a, here's a little story from ABC. Senior National Correspondent Terry Moran. It wasn't what they were hoping for. We'll get this show on the road, so to speak. In the end, the Arizona Republican audit found 99 more votes for Joe Biden and 261 fewer for Donald Trump. Republicans in the legislature admitting today that their controversial, months-long partisan review of the votes had found in the end that, yes, Joe Biden won Arizona. Well, the interesting fact is, is truth is truth, numbers are numbers. For months, Donald Trump has been whipping up his supporters with baseless claims of election fraud and declaring that the Republican so-called audit in Arizona would provide the proof. Just last night, he put out a statement saying everybody will be watching Arizona and praising the highly respected auditors. That statement taken down today. Democrats in Arizona calling the GOP's audit useless and ridiculous. The Arizona Republican-controlled state Senate has wasted taxpayer dollars perpetuating the consistently debunked false claims. The total cost of this so-called audit, $6 million, $150,000 in taxpayer money, the rest from private donors. But election officials in Arizona and elsewhere say the cost and the corrosion of people's faith in the democracy, that's likely to be incalculable. All right, so we have that. Then, you know, I kind of thought Donald Trump would just stay kind of quiet this weekend, but oh, was I, was I wrong. I had no idea that he was going to be speaking publicly in Georgia. We won on the Arizona forensic audit yesterday at a level that you wouldn't believe. It is clear in Arizona that they must decertify the election. You heard the numbers. And those responsible for wrongdoing must be held accountable. It was a corrupt election. And it's my opinion, by the way, that Georgia is far worse. And hopefully the Arizona attorney general, a good man, will do far more for his state than your attorney general has done for your state. Because your attorney general has not done what he's supposed to be doing. This is a man who's being investigated by the district attorney in Fulton County, Georgia, for tampering with the 2020 election. Your thoughts on all of this? Well, you know, for a long time I've been against audits, Sly, because I think it's it's absurd, right? We had counts, recounts, and recounts of recounts, and, and serious reviews by uh, election officials and the courts, and, and even ultimately the U.S. Senate and House. So this thing should be settled. But uh, after seeing the Arizona results, um, which increased Biden's uh, victory and forced the people who had pushed for it to actually acknowledge as much. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we, we should allow more audits. The problem is that I'm not sure that everyone uh, who presses this audit argument uh, will be as honest as the Arizonans were. I think the Arizonans were so crazy 
that they were operating by their own set of rules, and they didn't even imagine that uh, that things could that could turn out in ways that they didn't want them to. But the fact is that uh, in other states, including Wisconsin, where you and I live, uh, the reality is that the audit push is being done at the behest of Donald Trump by politicians who fear him. And the danger is that as this proceeds, we are ultimately going to get politicians who are willing to echo Trump's flat-out lies and say that an audit has produced a different result than, than what the numbers and what the ballots actually show. So we're in a dangerous area. And the, the heart of the danger, the, the, the real heart of it, is this building of a substantial cadre of American uh, voters and activists who either believe or um, cynically claim that the 2020 election was illegitimate. Now, a country, a country can't go on like this forever. You can't, you know, have, you know, one of the major parties effectively denying election results. Uh, if you do, that is going to ultimately lead to more of the violence that you saw on January 6th and, frankly, more chaos as regards elections. So it's a bad situation, and ultimately, though Trump's a bad player, and, and it can be expected to be so. Other Republicans should be expected to specifically and honestly acknowledge that the Arizona audit has proven, and not just for Arizona, but for states across the country, uh, that this whole track of the big lie is something that needs to be abandoned. Your girlfriend, Representative Liz Cheney from Wyoming. I don't know if we actually, you know, I don't think we really use that term. Girlfriend? Okay. Uh, yeah, not, not, not really. Your dear, your dear friend, Liz Cheney, uh, <laughs> uh, was on 60 Minutes last night. Here's uh, Liz Cheney. What he's done is embrace Donald Trump. And if I were doing what he's doing, I, I would be deeply ashamed of myself. I don't know how you explain that to your children. When you are in a situation where you have somebody who did what Donald Trump did, it is absolutely clear he cannot continue to be somebody you embrace. But are you saying you can't support anybody who supports him? I'm saying that there are people who supported Donald Trump because of his policies. But there's a difference between somebody who voted for Donald Trump and being the Republican leader after an insurrection and setting all of that aside and going to Mar-a-Lago and, and rehabilitating him, bringing him back in. That, to me, is unforgivable. So, um... Liz Cheney aiming her fire at Kevin McCarthy as opposed to Donald Trump. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, I, and look, as you know, I am not a particular uh, defender of Liz Cheney or someone who forgives and forgets. I still, I, I haven't quite gotten over the arrest. You were a big war. fan of his, uh, her father. Yeah, well, you know. You wrote a book. You wrote a book about him. I did write a little book about him, yeah. Dick. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, um, but as much as I'm not a fan of the Cheneys and of Liz Cheney as well as her father, um, the fact of the matter is that she's doing exactly the right thing there. Uh, going after Trump is it's just easy and irrelevant at this point. We know who Trump is. We know what he will do. Um, he is a, a very weak and disturbed and self-absorbed man who you know cannot see beyond his own pain. Um, and so... Uh, it becomes important to focus on those who aid and abet him. And, you know, I'm 
I swallow hard in saying this, but Liz Cheney is exactly right. Focusing on Kevin McCarthy is an important thing. Focusing on Mitch McConnell is important. Focusing on Ron Johnson is important. And focusing on, you know, people like Robin Boss here in Wisconsin. That 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 really matters because these are, you know, people like Johnson, Boss, you know, these are political careerists. They they want to, you know, continue to enjoy the benefits of office. And so they're they're doing this not because they believe anything that Trump is saying. Well, in fairness, Ron Johnson may not understand one way or the other, but certainly Boss, um, you know, he knows he's being cynical. He knows he's doing this just for, you know, inside the party political purposes, and he should be called out on it just as Kevin McCarthy should be. So this notion of people believing bald-faced lies that are just patently false and so easily, provably false. I mean, this isn't even a close call. I understand we've muddied the waters over the years and poisoned the well, but this is so beyond the pale. This is not just carrying through election integrity in our, in our Constitution. It's about the well-being of the American public as far as health. Uh, a doctor wrote in the Washington Post, he's from Michigan, about his patients and how many of them, even after they get COVID, they don't believe they have COVID and really? they still don't believe that the vaccine will work. And they're demanding, you know, these, these ridiculous snake oil drugs for deworming horses and hydroxychloroquine. Uh, of course, Ron Johnson has pushed that stuff, but uh, people are leaving the hospital when they're incredibly sick and dying. Uh, they're, th they're threatening nurses. There is a healthcare system in Branson, Missouri, of all places, that has put panic buttons on their employees' uh, name tags that they can hit, that they can call for help if they're assaulted. Yeah, I, totally serious stuff. And, and uh, you know, it, look, uh, I think that what we're looking at around the country is a, a reality that, you know, Trump and his allies, his aiders and abettors, are creating a class of people, a group of people in this country, who are um, generally, uh, not always, because, you know, you got some folks, people come at it from different places, uh, but generally are uh, dangerous to themselves first uh, and to others, potentially. And uh, that is because of a denial of, of a very serious disease and of the very logical ways in which to respond to it and respond to it. And, and to my mind, that's about as, as uh, criminal as things can get. Not criminal on the part of the, the great mass of people. They're, they're victims of this. But on the part of a Donald Trump, on the part of a Kevin McCarthy, on the part of a Robin Boss or a Ron Johnson, people like this, yeah, that, that, is, that is just indefensible. Uh, and it ought to be uh, called out at election time, uh, obviously. But frankly, uh, you know, it ought to be talked about, you know, between elections. And, and we really ought to consider whether people that are this dangerous to the country uh, ought to continue in office or whether they should be recalled or removed um, on, on a more immediate basis, because the danger they're creating is severe. So, Sometimes a, 
Congress has become kind of a cross between roller derby and WWE. Uh, This took place on the steps of the Capitol on Friday. Representative Debbie Dingell from Michigan was doing an interview with the media. And evidently, the representative from Northwest Georgia was walking past, didn't like something she heard Dingell telling the reporters, and this is what ensued. Birth is a lack of civility. It's called murder. Hey, how about the border down there? Lack of civility. How about lack of laws or protecting and upholding our constitution? You should practice the basic thing you're taught in church. Respect your taught in church? Are you kidding me? Try being a Christian and supporting you life. Try being a Christian and try support life. Decently. Watch your step, lady. You're fall down. Control yourself. Wow. Well, <laughs> um, I have to admit, I, I, I know Debbie Dingle a little bit. I've covered her, covered her, her uh, late husband as well. Um, and I don't know Marjorie Taylor Greene quite so well. But um, having been around Debbie Dingle in a lot of situations, uh, covered her in a lot of circumstances, I'm going to suggest that she wasn't really the uh, bad player in that uh, interchange. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is, uh, it's almost gotten to this surreal level where she's so addicted, and I think the proper term is addicted, uh, to camera time and tension that on the moment, in the moment she isn't getting it, she seeks to, you know, like create a controversy, create trouble related to somebody else so that she can get more attention. And um, and we've seen her do this before. Remember, she uh, she was messing around outside uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez's office, and she's you know confronted other members. In well, about the sexuality of their children. It's just yeah, it's something, <laughs> and 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 about the variety of issues, and and so she is she's a out of control, right? There's no question of that. And B, the reason she is out of control is because, you know, she's clearly obsessed with being the center of all attention. Um, It's not like politicians don't like attention. I understand that. But, you know, for a variety of reasons, she should be sanctioned by the House. I mean, they should at the very least censure her for these combative and, and actually, you know, potentially destabilizing, you know, efforts to that upset and undermine other members. Uh, it's not. It's not something that makes for a workable legislative chamber. I think anyone would say that. Any Republican would have historically said that. And um, again, channeling Liz Cheney here, it's sort of on Kevin McCarthy and the other leaders, these police and these folks, uh, to crack down on Green. They did so initially when they denied her some committee assignments, but. Uh, they aren't doing so now, and they're, you know, I think it's fair to say they're effectively facilitating her. Well, in summation on this topic, uh, Senator uh, Congressman Glenn Grothman says that Marjorie Taylor Greene is a free spirit. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. There you go. What is, but what exactly is Glenn? That's the, that's the more, the deeper question. I have no words. We'll take a break. John <laughs> Nichols from the Capital Times and the nation at sliceoffice.com. 
Similar to a well-tuned automobile, a guitar requires the same level of attention to perform at its very best. No matter how expensive your guitar may be, we will treat you and your instrument with the utmost respect. Call 920-723-1733 or visit jeffsguitar.com. Jeff's Guitar Clinic in Ford Atkinson, we love guitars. The attorneys at Jingris, Thompson & Walks have had the honor of receiving numerous awards for their work both in and outside the courtroom. But just as important as receiving accolades for being skilled attorneys, it's equally important to give back to the community in which they live and work. If you want a personal attorney that can help you in so many different areas, they've got them. They're in Eau Claire, Madison, Milwaukee, and Waukesha. They're easy to reach. GTWlawyers.com. That's GTWlawyers. Welcome back to SliceOffice.com, brought to you by our friends at Madison Computers. Madison Computer Works. Computers that work for you. Also, Jeff's Guitar Clinic. John Nichols, associate editor with the Capital Times and correspondent for the nation. Uh, let's talk about a couple elections that have happened, first in Canada and then in Germany. Uh, just yesterday, your thoughts on where you think the world might be going, looking at these election results in two of our closest allies. Yeah, it's really interesting, and it's worth talking about, because uh, in both cases, in Canada and in Germany, it looks like uh, one of the playouts of COVID-19 is a uh, desire to have an, a measure of continuity, right, to keep... Uh, a certain sort of what what it by comparison to the U.S. would be a center left government, even more you know probably to the left of what the U.S. does, um, and to move it a little more to the left. So in Canada, uh, Justin Trudeau, the sitting prime minister, called an election hoping to extend his own majority, and he frankly increased it minimally, but not a great deal. But has set up a situation where it's actually quite likely that he'll go forward in a coalition uh, with his center left. Liberal Party and the uh, more social democratic, new Democratic Party, uh, and and that's actually a, a pretty good response to the to the moment, a moment in which we're seeing the need for government to do more and to hopefully do more effectively. And in Germany, um, where Angela Merkel's been in charge since 2005, uh, her coalition has for a number of years included both their own, you know, Christian Democratic Party, but also the Social Democratic Party, the traditional Socialist Party in Germany. Um, in the election on Sunday, it looks like the Social Democrats have now won the upper hand uh, and are very likely to go into a coalition with the Greens and perhaps one more party, uh, end result being that Germany is likely to get, again, continuity, you know, relatively sane governance uh, with a little bit of a movement to the left. Uh, and in Germany, particularly on climate. And so the interesting thing is what we get here is a suggestion that, uh, you know, if we use those models, the chances that the Democrats in 2022 in the U.S., and obviously, you know, it's hard to compare across borders, but at least the chances that um, this continuity model might, a and, and again, a little bit of movement to the left, uh, might actually become, you know, something that you see in a lot of Western democracies. And it's a relatively healthy approach. Of course, uh, in, in neither Germany or Canada do we have people trying to change the election rules to hinder the vote. So that's no. that's that's one different. You know, we don't have gerrymandering, at least uh, 
at least oh, on the surface. Better, much better system. Yeah. Much better system. So, but can I throw one thing in? I will mention that in Canada, um, they had a party that was sort of like a Trump party. That yeah, the people's up. the people's party got mm-hmm. a lot of attention. And by how many seats did it win in the parliament? Well, it won nothing. Zero point zero. It did get a record percentage of the vote. It got five percent of the vote. That's a Maxime Bernier is there is the leader of that group. He uh, he came in second in the conservative nomination that it was defeated by Aaron O'Toole. So he kind of split off, but he did take enough from the the uh, conservatives to harm them in some districts. You know, I, I want to ask you about this because during this well, let me just, uh, before we before you take me to that next question, let me also point out Germany had a Trump-like party, too, the AFD. They got about and 10%, they, right? Right. They ran reasonably well in the former East Germany, but are nowhere near the government. So uh, the lessons is that other countries tend to be rejecting a lot of this approach. Right. Well, for a while, Trudeau was back on his heels, you know, holding the election sort of stepped on his brand of dealing with the pandemic. But then the anti-vaxxers and this People's Party, they got... They got in trouble for throwing rocks at the prime minister at campaign stops, right, and harassing him. And between that and the COVID outbreak in Alberta with a conservative premier there, it really kind of blew up on the conservative's face, and they they paid a price for that. In Germany, you know, this right-wing group, uh, did it hurt the the Christian Democrats? I mean, in in sort of brand? I mean, did did they sort of get blended together? No, it's... The truth is that that in Germany, um, the far right is having an impact that you know we saw a little bit of you know a little bit of what we saw in 2016 in the in you know industrial states that the far right is winning over some uh, you know working class folks, especially in the former East Germany that that's a bit poorer and a bit more um, scared by deindustrialization and that. So I no, I don't think that the that the far right in Germany, the Trumpets, far right type folks, um, are are taking so much from the mainstream conservatives. The the German conservatives uh, have a stronger backbone than American conservatives. The American conservatives are, are kind of weak and you know uh, pretty much of a, a well. They're scared they, of their base. They are. They're yeah. unfocused and they they um, they they basically just want to their political careers they want to keep their jobs. In Germany, I think there's much more of a of a sense of defining out what a conservative approach to governance might be, um, and they 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 held their own by you know I mean their their numbers were still pretty decent, but their problem was an interesting one. I would I would refer to it as if if you might the Gerald Ford problem, and that was in uh, 1976, long ago in the U.S. Republicans nominated sitting president Gerald Ford for the presidency, and Ford bumbled a lot. During that campaign, he had, you know, kind of bizarre statements about Poland and stumbled on steps and things like that. And, you know, there's a, a thought that that, that undermined uh, his appeal. And people just thought, yeah, this guy, we're not so sure about his competence here. Now, I think that was unfair to him, but, but that's what happened. Similarly, in Germany, uh, the conservatives nominated a guy who just kind of stumbled a lot, um, got caught laughing. Uh, at an event, you know, where people were expressing concern about floods that have been devastating in Germany, you know, got into fights with the Greens that were just unfocused and dumb. But, you uh, know, it's, so it's not terribly unusual for 
Germany to swing back and forth between these two parties. I, you know, after one party's been in for a long time, it's not a shock that the, a country no. switches into a different direction. Yeah, and, and uh, also, uh, look, this is if you want to understand what's going on in Germany, here's the subtlety. Uh, Germany has, by and large, liked Angela Merkel's leadership. Um, they've kept her there for a very long time. And, uh, and she... It's a pretty good argument that she's relatively close to the center of gravity as regards where where politics is in Germany. And the truth is that the Social Democrats, who are to the left of where Merkel is, nominated somebody who was able to communicate that same sort of center of gravity feel. This is o- Olaf Scholz. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, no, no relation to Brandon Scholz. Or to, you know, uh, you know. Sergeant Schultz or whatever. Um, but here's the bottom line. Um, he's in many ways the Joe Biden of German politics. He's somebody who's been around for a long time. He's finance minister. And he has, you know, he's somebody everybody knows. Um, don't get very excited about, but um, he is pretty solid. And what he did that was smart, again, somewhat similar to Biden here, is that he had a left in his own party. The, the Social Democrats had folks who wanted to go much more to the left. Um, he didn't go as far as, he, as they would have gone, but he respected what they were talking about. So he ran on supporting uh, very significant increases in the minimum wage, a lot more protections for workers, a lot more you know, kind of shoring up of the social welfare state. And so, you know, it, it's this, this notion of, again, uh, continuity, but with a little bit more of a left emphasis. Uh, and, and I think that's what you saw in, in Canada. I think you've seen it in a number of countries around the world. And the lesson is that we may be starting to get a sense of what COVID, how COVID impacts politics in the longer term. And that impact is not to move toward a, a radical populism, right? Not to move toward a point where people say, oh, I want everything to change. But more to move toward a point where people have a higher sense of the value of government and want it to do a little more, but still want it to be managed by, you know, very sane people. We will do a podcast about what's going on. This It's going to be a crazy week, so hopefully we can do another podcast oh, yeah. this week. But uh, let me just play one clip of the president uh, and what he said at the end of last week. Infrastructure bills. We're at this stalemate at the moment, and we're going to have to get these two pieces of legislation passed. Both need to be passed. I'm confident that at the end of the day, we're going to be able to get that done. Your thoughts on that and where we're headed? And we're just about finished here. Uh, look, I think that, that, you know, I'll probably be, anything I say will probably be wrong in 24 hours because uh, this thing is still so chaotic. But it is looking like we're, we're getting a, a sense of what's going to happen. And that is that uh, in return for passing the infrastructure bill, which is, is going to happen, and, and, and probably with, with substantial support, um, there's, there is some sort of agreement to dial down the $3.5 trillion uh, reconciliation bill, budget reconciliation bill. Um, how far they dial it down is, is where the real tension is going to be applied because if they take it down too far, progressives, may indeed vote against the whole thing and say, nope, we're going to force you to start over. Of course, that's a dangerous game, and progressives know that. 
so the the deal is to sort of hit some kind of sweet spot where yes, you take down the three point five trillion a little bit, uh, but you don't take it down so far that you lose progressive support, uh, and that you know like the constituency groups are so strong, we got to do this, uh, and then you get you know a infrastructure bill and a social infrastructure bill, uh, perhaps in the range of two point five, two point eight. Uh, and and isn't it isn't it sad that the and obviously we have to be we have to take financial considerations into, you know, yeah. and pay for this. But, yeah. uh, you, you know, the things in the bill, and, and I think of Mansion and Cinema and their reticence on this, and Cinema now saying she doesn't want any kind of corporate tax increase. They both represent incredibly poor states that oh. could use yeah. a great deal of help. And I'm just kind of wondering why... Democrats haven't spent some time putting some pressure on them, showing their showing their constituents in those states what they could be helped with. I'm going to say something very blunt here. Biden screwed up, um, and and there's there that should not be underestimated. And so too do the other Democratic leaders, except for Bernie Sanders. These people should have been out front touring the country in August. I know it's nice to go on vacation in August, but they should have been out around the country in August saying. Look, we've got a proposal to provide uh, dental, hearing, and vision care for people uh, who rely on Medicare. We've got a proposal for free family uh, and medical leave or for guaranteed family and medical leave. We've got a proposal to make it possible for working-class kids to go to community college for free. We've got a proposal that's going to provide caregiving services that means that people won't have to go bankrupt when their elderly parents and others you know, need care either at home or in a community facility. And so that should have been what this is all about, because the fact of the matter is every one of those things fly pulls at about 85%. And so this is an incredibly popular set of proposals that, frankly, ought to uh, have been run on the basis of those proposals. And the mistake they made was to get all wrapped up in the $3.5 trillion. Right. You don't know, Sly. You do not know what the budget figure was for Social Security back in the mid-1930s. You do not know what the budget figure was for Medicare and Medicaid in the 1960s because we weren't talking about the price tag. We were talking about what was going to be accomplished, and that's frankly what Biden should be talking about. John Nichols from the Capital Times and The Nation. Thanks for coming to SliceOffice.com. Thanks, brother. SliceOffice.com. Thanks a million. Bye-bye.